look forward to retirement and avoid the pitfalls. Keep listening for ways to maximize your retirement income. More Than Money with the Popowich Carmelli Advisory Group, CIBC Woodgundy, on News Talk 770. Lifestyle matters. It's more than money. I'm Faisal Carmelli, my co-host here, Dave Popovich. How you doing, buddy? I'm good, Faisal. Welcome back. Yeah, thanks, man. So we had it was I was away, yeah. you were away. So Andrew covered for both of us. So thank you, Andrew. Yep. Um, so, but I'm glad to have you back, my friend. Came back with a wicked cold. Yep. We were all here in minus thirty degree weather when you were in the Bahamas. I know. I saw some pictures. And I'm the sick one. I don't know how that happens. Well, because you came back. <laughs> that's a good. You should have stayed. I should have stayed. Apparently, that ticket was return flight. Not, <laughs> yeah, not yeah, one that's way right. like I was hoping for. So yes, <laughs> those school schedules for the kids get in the way every single oh, time. Man, I'll I tell, tell you. you. We got a cool show today. Um, do your doctor think you're nuts? Probably. Um, they might be afraid to ask. What? Okay. We're going to talk about that. Okay. I'm not going to give away. I'm, no, no more thunder is going to be given up. You're, you're going to have to stick around You're for teasing. that. That's right. Okay. Okay. Um, how about choosing um, semi-retirement? If you had an option, would you choose semi-retirement? Would you? Yeah. Would that's you? a good question. We're going to talk about that. Yep. And we're going to talk about how many people might prefer that as an option. Or not. Or yeah. not. Right? Yeah. But it's, uh, we're going to talk. I okay. want to talk about the process of, uh, of retirement because I think that's really interesting. Gotcha. Um, okay. Let's talk a uh, little water talk, water cooler talk. It was, um, I think, generally speaking, a pretty good week this week. <laughs> For politics. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Next week's going to get exciting if we get the Mueller report. Oh, you're going U.S. already. I'm going. I was going I'm home. Everywhere. I'm I was, everywhere. I, I, I was talking about the, the SNC-Lavlin oh, yeah. issue. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No. I, this is the first time in a... Well, this is the first time I had a, f- a phone call or seven uh, that came to me and said... We're not going to invest in SNC Lavalin, <laughs> are we? The last time I had that was when the money went to Bombardier. We're not yeah, going to yeah. invest in Bombardier, are we? Right. So it's interesting how. Should we talk about ethical investing? Do you put rules on that? You can. You can. You can. We won't get into that. That's a different topic. I was just throwing. We that should there have a show fun. on that. We should have a show on yeah. ethical investing. But here, here's what I was going to say. The water cooler talk is there wasn't much water cooler talk. I mean, the 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 sideline stuff, the head big headline global stuff that we've been talking about for a while. Yep. China, U.S. Yes, uh, the Mueller report's coming back in. We've got our own political scandal here. Yes, that's all interesting. Um, but markets have generally been fairly quiet. We're not getting panic phone calls by anybody. Right. Yeah. Things were okay. Can but, I tell? Can I tell you my week with? Uh, Five different groups this week, mm-hmm. and I say group because it could have been a couple, it could have been okay. one client, or it could have been a client and his friends. Yep. Um, there was a show in, on CBC, I think it was, that had, um, I think it was This Hour has 22 minutes, something like that, and they were all sitting at Tim Hortons, yeah. and they're all talking about what's going on, and they're kind of giving information, some of it's misinformation. That's what it felt like my week. Because I was sitting with different groups of people, and we're literally talking about everything and anything that could happen in the world when it right. comes to politics. Right. All right, from from um, conspiracy theories to um, to you know impeachment to Trudeau still being paid by Quebec. Yep. Like everything. 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 You got it. Yep. And then when I say, "How is this tying to your retirement?" Oh, I don't know. Yeah, it's been just. But it gives me stress. What gives you stress? <laughs> All the things I made up in my head, Faisal, is giving me stress about my retirement. But you just said you made it up in your head. Yeah. Why, why are you stressed? Why do you do this to yourself? And so these are the conversations where where people are, are, I think, 
being in a situation where you have um, a lot of information coming your way and you've got you got the ability to have that conversation with your group of friends or you know in our case like your advisor and so forth and you start going through different scenarios it can get very stressful like you're, you're creating your own anxiety yep yeah and I think that's part of it right and it's 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 part of what I want to talk about in in the last segment today too um, you know all of this this anxiety it's a, it's a good maybe tease for the last segment because we build this 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 picture in our head and then it morphs into something and you know, and it, it translates into what I'm going to do and making financial decisions, and they might not actually be connected. <laughs> this is the funny part. Hey, we, I, we've never had a problem in the past, Faisal, where we had a, a, a president that could be in big trouble. They've had, we've had immigration issues, <laughs> yeah. and we have a trade war. Right. And I said, uh, how does 1994, 95 <laughs> sound to you? Yeah. And the guy goes, what are you talking about? I go, do you remember a guy by the name of Bill Clinton? Yeah. He was going to go under impeachment. Yeah. And he also said he didn't want the words illegal aliens coming into the country. Yeah. So they want more border security. And he also said, we're going to have a trade dispute with Japan. And Bush, Bush applied tariffs, right? In, in the time when Clinton did that, the stock market rallied 30% that year. Yep. 30%. Yep. So I'm not saying it's going to happen this year where it's going to rally 30%. I don't know. But what I am saying is people don't always know what happened in we the forget. past. Our memories are short. Yeah. Although history directly doesn't repeat itself, it kind of sings off the same song sheet. Right. You know? Yep. And so there are times in the past, and we don't know how it's going to fall out. But we cannot base our entire retirement, our in portfolio, yep. how we invest our money, whatever, based upon theories that we have in our head. Yeah. I mean, you've got to come up with a thesis, but it's going to have to be in, based on some facts. There you go. Right. It right? can't be emotional. Right? So, yes, the president of the United States could be impeached. Right. Every president could be impeached. Right. Every president's been in hot water. Every president has an issue. Are we going to spend our entire retirement focusing on that issue? Yeah. Or can you write down the 31 things you want, what do you want to do in your retirement and just go and do that? Right. Like, why do we forego a lifestyle, enjoyment, happiness for things that are happening on the headline music? Why but, that drawing so much attention? This is a behavioral finance issue, okay? So, yeah. you know, what's happening is, is the people you're referring to, the groups you're referring to, is sort of built this this negative, like this, all this negative inputs coming in and it builds a sense of negativity and then it's a filter through which we see things, right? This, this is the problem. And I got to tell you in a behavioral finance sort of, I guess, uh, way that we remember the, the wounds are 10 times as, as deep as, as the wins, right? So you, th you think about the, the Clinton example. Except for golf. Well, yeah, exactly. Sorry, go on. Yeah, Sorry, I digressed. You know, we, many people, most people won't remember there was a win there. They just won't, they don't remember it because there was no wound. But I got to tell you, when things go haywire at the end of last year, immediately people jump to 2008. This is another 2008. We got a complete financial collapse coming. Correct. Well, wait a minute, wait a minute. So I think people have to also know that, right, from a behavioral finance perspective, that we're skewed to feel the losses way more deeply than we ever are the gains. You can forget the gains, but yeah. you don't forget the losses. Correct. And I and I, I like when I hear all these different theories and concepts and ideas and you know things that are made up in people's heads yep. because it kind of gives you an idea how people think. And how they think is how they react. Right. And how they react is what they do with their money and their portfolio. Right. And when those people are overreacting, right. oh, it's shopping time for me to make some money on this thing. And I love it. it. Yeah, I yeah. love it. Yep. And I think this is where a disciplined approach to getting the facts, looking at things that maybe the facts may not work out the way you see it. Mm -hmm. So it could be better. It could be worse. Mm -hmm. 
What do you do? Mm-hmm. Let's have a strategy. There's not one strategy. There's multiple strategies. And we're going to talk about that in segment four, what that actually means. Because we often say these things. Uh, you and I talk about it every day, so we sometimes forget that that's, that's general language to us. But we, uh, I want to talk about what's underneath that because people don't know what you're I talking about I want to challenge there. every single investor listening today. If you're investing money, either with by yourself or with an advisor, I want you to be able to write down the strategy. Right. Not the investments. I don't care what you're investing in. Right. What's the strategy? Yep. And if your strategy is incorrect, what's your alternative? Right. I would love to see... Uh, you know what? First three people that send that to us, their strategy and their alternatives. Okay. Free copy of our book. Okay, that sounds good. Right. I would love to just let's see get it. people thinking about that. I think people need to be trained that yeah. way. Yeah, that's fair. It's right? a good challenge. I like that idea. Okay, so listen, we're gonna we're gonna do a lot of that uh, at our upcoming seminar. I mean, that we want to talk about. It's not, well, let me back up. It's this is not just about math. It's not just about the politics of the day. It's about a lifestyle. Right? Correct. We've got to work backwards from what it is you want and why you want it. We talk about these 31 things. So each of those things, the economic thesis and how politics fits into that and what securities you should own, all important. I'm not trying to diminish the importance of that stuff. But these are things that should come at the end of the process, not at the beginning of the process. We need to understand what we're trying to accomplish from a lifestyle perspective. Yes. And this is the educational process that we're going through in our, in our upcoming seminar. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to be on Tuesday, March 26th. Our location is now the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary. Now our 7 p.m. session is already full. So you can join us for our 8.30 session, giving us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or you can register online at morethanmoneyradio.com. Does your doctor think you're crazy? We'll stick around after the break. We're going to talk about that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and more than money. Um, healthcare, pressures on healthcare yep. uh, continue to mount. Not getting any easier for people. We've got a terrific guest joining us all the way from London today, and I'm very pleased that she could take some time out of her schedule, Dr. Rachel Frost, who's a, po- uh, sorry, a postdoctoral research associate at the Research Department of Primary Care and Population Health at the University College London. Dr. Frost, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me on today. Okay, uh, we talk a lot about, I mean, we this show caters to people that are sort of 55 plus, transitioning yep. to living in retirement. Healthcare is an important, um, it, it, overall, a very, very important piece of the uh, equation, the, you know, the success of their retirement. Now, the article, the report that you put out, let's just start here. Nearly 10% of adults aged over 75 have major depressive disorders. I want to start there. Talk to us a little bit about uh, the research and a little bit about what you've found. Okay, so we know that the, both depression and anxiety are quite common in later life, mm-hmm. and it's often more common for people to have symptoms of depression and anxiety um, than a diagnosis necessarily. And what, what we really wanted to explore in our study was that we know that oftentimes in later life people are less likely to be Uh, for the issue of mental health to be raised in the first place when they're talking to healthcare professionals and they're less likely to be um, referred to psychological support Mm -hmm. and more likely to be prescribed antidepressants than younger people. And we wanted to explore really why that was. So we we reviewed um, 27 papers from 
countries around the world, which we're talking to healthcare professionals about this topic, about asking how they manage um, depression in older people mm. and why this was. Um, and so I guess the, the main things that came out of that really was that actually physical health is often really prioritised over mental health in later life. Um, and there are a few, quite a few different reasons for this, really. The first one was that um, there's often lots of issues with time in consultations. So, you know, there's often many pressures on healthcare professionals these days. They felt it was difficult to get around to the issue of mental health. But then there's also this assumption that older people didn't really want to talk about mental health. Yeah. Um, and that they felt that actually if they raised that with people, that might be um, it was something that would take a long time. It would be really difficult to get into. They have to really sort of tread lightly around because people didn't want to talk about that, um, which is a bit, so it's a bit of an assumption there um, because that may not necessarily be the case. Um, but also um, people feeling that actually there were, there were lots of physical health issues that needed to be dealing with, and that was sort of... Um, I guess their primary responsibility as a healthcare provider is to deal with the physical issues. Um, I'm just going to jump in for a second because I want to just jump on this notion of the stigma for a minute. And I think that's a big one. I think it's lessening over time, but it's still still Mm. a big issue when we talk about mental health versus physical health. Uh, but I'm, I'm interested to know, um, and we've done a number of shows, Faisal, uh, you know, on mental health, various kinds of mental health and so mm-hmm. on and so forth. Yep. I, I'm interested to know from your research, Dr. Frost, what, what is good management of sort of late life or early life, whatever you want, but late life mental health by a healthcare practitioner look like? Like, what, what, is that, what does that mean? Because it sounds scary. <laughs> so... I guess there's a number of different things. The first thing is really um, making sure it's something that's routinely asked about, so kind of normalized and, and explored as part of as part of physical health or as part of a more holistic assessment, making sure this is asked about and picked up on. Mm-hmm. Um, if it is an issue for people, it's about listening to, to what people want um, and using the same sort of language to talk to people about mental health because sometimes not everybody likes to say depression or anxiety but might more describe it as low mood or feeling worried. Um, but also having that investment in um, various therapies and opportunities there. So one of the things that came out of our review is that people or healthcare professionals don't always feel that, don't always either know about the services or um, feel that services are available locally to refer people on to. So then they go, well, what's the point in me raising it with this person because I haven't got anything that I can do? So it's about having those options there and then giving older people the choice. So... Um, saying, well, these therapies are available. Which do you think would work best for you? Um, is this a really, healthcare? Is this a healthcare issue, or is this a social issue, or is it both? Oh, I, th- I think it's a bit of both um, because there's sort of there's evidence to say that when you get these good collaborations between different healthcare professionals, when they know what's available um, and who they can refer the older person to, then things tend to work a lot better. But there's also, yes, the social side of um, how do we encourage people to to seek help if they need it or how do we encourage people to just talk about the language of um, depression and anxiety a bit more. And I think, like you said, that's that's coming out of um, the stigma's kind of going now. But I think there's also this idea that old people feel like they really need to be independent and that seeking help kind of threatens that in some way. So I think it's overcoming that idea as well. As well. Dr. Frost, I, I'll kind of give you a bit of a story of myself. I went for my annual physical. Um, we went through all my vitals, everything. Dave went through yep. all my numbers. Yep. 
Um, doctors started asking me, and you know, he kind of put me through like 700 different tests yep. just to make sure, because yep. uh, just because that's the way he is. One thing he never asked me though was, yep. how's my stress level or how am I dealing with the day-to-days? Right. Um, and so I asked him, I said, how come you never brought up my mental health? Mm-hmm. Because part of the issues that can come out physically is because of mental health and right. vice versa. And so I asked him, and he goes, until you tell me you have a problem or we see it physically, I don't normally ask that question. Right. Which was a very interesting conversation yep. we had. Uh, and then I finished my seven minutes that I was allowed to, to talk to him, and I had to go. <laughs> but, 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 but I think the issue is we are all a reactionary society. Right. We, we only do things after it's already happened. Yep. We're not in the preventive world. So I don't know if... And here in Canada, here in Alberta, do our doctors go through a program or a training system to kind of identify? I've had friends that went to their doctor and said, I'm feeling stressed, anxious, sure. whatever. Yep. And then prescription or something else was, was uh, recommended. But until well, part of the normal. My, I, I went through my physical too. No okay. questions about mental health. So I think there's a, a systemic problem. Well, there's an assumption about you already. That's probably well, why. I was going to say the same about you, but okay. like, we're on the same page. <laughs> Dr. Frost, let me ask you this question, though. You've studied pa- research papers from around the world, different countries. Is there anybody that's leading here? Is there a system out there or something we should know about? Um, because clearly our two experiences indicate that there's a systemic problem as well as a social problem here. I think one of the things that came out was that these challenges are quite you know, they're quite prevalent worldwide. There's lots of, even though there's quite different health systems, there's lots of similar issues going on there. And some, there are some instances where people are using more of a kind of collaborative approach um, to, um, so ensuring healthcare professionals work together at the more, um, particularly in, there's some of these in the US and there's, there's a few initiatives in the UK where people are trying to encourage um, increased referrals to um, for older people to our psychological services, but there's no, so far um, there's no kind of there's a few good examples, but there's no real no world leading thing at the moment. Yeah, that, yeah, so that's, that's something that that we'd kind of like to to develop it more because there's a few different approaches as to whether it's about developing newer psychological therapies, whether it's about getting healthcare professionals to work together a bit more. And so all these sort of approaches have been tested, Um, but they're just, yeah. (laughs) I think we need to get to a place, I mean, this is just personally, where where you're talking about, say, anxiety. You know, everybody has anxiety at some point, right? It doesn't get discussed, but it has to be discussed in the same context as a broken finger. It has. It's the yeah. same darn thing. Or blood pressure. Right. Hang on. I get. I well, I sit down, and that blood pressure device is opened up right away. I haven't even said hello to the doctor, <laughs> and he whips it out. Yeah. Why not have a conversation really right. quickly, kind of, or some sort of questionnaire or probing question right. that kind of can ignite that conversation? <clears throat> and I understand it may not be his discipline. Right. But I think collaborative work or that needs to be. I, I haven't heard that. In the public sector, in the private sector, we've had doctors come on our show that have a collaborative approach, mm-hmm. but not in the public sector, which I find, I think it would be more preventive, which would save more money for the taxpayer. It will also provide better quality care for the citizen. No, 100%. And Dr. Frost, we've got literally a, maybe a minute here. Quick question. If you had to leave us with one piece of advice doing all this research, um, when, and when you're dealing with, say, these you know people that are aging and this this problem of potential depression what's the one piece of advice you'd leave us with 
I guess that people, that people, if they are feeling down and are anxious, just that look, looking after yourself is a, is a good thing to do, and people should should seek help um, if they need it. Really, I think that's terrific. Okay, on that note, we want to thank you very much. We've been joined by Dr. Rachel Frost. She's a postdoctoral research associate and at the research department of primary care and population health at the University College London. Thank you very much for joining us, Dr. Frost. Okay, let's um, let's remind everybody about yeah. uh, about I mean, good mental health, good physical health, all are a basis for a terrific experience in retirement. We're going to talk about how all those things are linked together. And, and they're they're really stressed. You know, the number one of the yeah. biggest issues that people have is is health of themselves, health care, and the cost of health care in the future. How do you how do you plan for that? Well, we're going to talk about that yeah. on Tuesday, March 26th, at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel on the west side of Calgary. Now our 7 p.m. session is already full. So join us for our 8.30 session. Give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400. Or go on our website at morethanmoneyradio.ca. Is semi-retirement an interest or an option for you? Stick around after the after the break, and we're going to discuss that. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Um, you know, we talk often a little bit uh, or about the process of retirement, and um, and a quality of retirement, I can tell you from personal experience of retiring literally hundreds of times with our clients, that often the, the quality of a person's retirement is governed by what their engagement model is. And what I mean by that is uh, everybody, uh, I, I think historically you think of that retirement date as the date you get to stop work and you get to go and you know do whatever else it is you're going to do. But I think that's changing very rapidly. I think people are finding that, that that's not really the definition of a successful retirement that there is some level of engagement that I want, of mental stimulation, of challenge, all of those things that that work provides. However, it may not simply be at the pace that you were doing it when you were 40 or 50 years old. Now, that's an interesting concept because there's a new poll that's come out. It was a Harris poll, and it was, um, it was on behalf of Express Employment Professionals. And what this poll found was that 76% of Canadian baby boomers said that they would opt for a flexible work schedule if allowed. And 60% would actually choose reduced hours and the corresponding reduced benefits with that as well. Now, to help us understand a little bit about uh, the report, the ins and the outs, we've got Jessica Kulo with us today. She's Express Employment Owner and Spokesperson, National Spokesperson. Jessica, thanks for taking some time with us. Thanks for having me. Okay, so let's let's tackle this, right? Uh, clearly, we're getting uh, the Harris Poll indicating that people are open to this idea of uh, you know, of a of a phased retirement or a shortened work week, a flexible work week, call it what you will. I'm I'm interested, maybe just at a high level, a little bit about why that might be the case. Is this a financial issue where people don't have enough to retire, or is it a I just want to stay engaged and keep myself out of trouble, or perhaps a combination <laughs> of both? I don't know. Well, I'll look for your your input on sure. that. Sure. Yeah. From from the people that we speak with regularly and and through the survey as well, what we definitely hear. It is a combination. It's a combination of things. It's partly financial, partly um, affordability of the quality of life that mm-hmm. those folks are looking for. They want to be able to travel and, and buy toys and boats and, and do fun things as yep. well, keep, keep the activity levels high, um, spending time with grandchildren. And um, the other big piece, I think, is just that connectivity. People want to still feel connected yep. to something yep. and engaged and challenged. And I think there's a huge opportunity because we definitely are faced with a knowledge gap as well with right. with the baby boomers looking to retire. And um, I think 
there is a solution to be had there. It's just not always commonly utilized. Well, it's an interesting point you've just brought up. I've just started with the focus on, you know, the individual that's retiring. Uh, but there's two sides to this story. There's also what the employer loses uh, when that knowledge base walks out the, you know, walks out the door. So I found this interesting uh, in the report. From an employment perspective, only 30% of the boomers surveyed in this report uh, or survey, excuse me, said that their employer offered any sort of semi-retirement option. So clearly we have a disconnect here. We've got a group of people who seem to want the, uh, the option to do this. We don't have a business community that perhaps has embraced or has a mechanism to do that. Maybe just talk a little bit about what that, you know, that disconnect means and where the opportunities are. Sure. The opportunities that I see is mentorship programs. So mentorship programs can be done at a, a more flexible schedule or a reduced work week because um, just on the topic of flexibility, I think that's a really important thing to offer, but you can't offer flexibility at the detriment of customers or clients if you're right. in that type of business. So mentorship, though, it's internal customers, it's other employees, and that's a great opportunity for solving the problem of that knowledge gap um, because that is detrimental to businesses for that knowledge to walk out the door. But then also millennials. I mean, millennials get a bad rap, and my company, most of my employees are millennials, mm-hmm. and uh, they want information. They want to be led. They want good leadership. They want to be mentored. And I think if those programs were made or made available, um, processes, policies in place that allowed for them, I think they'd be well utilized. Of course, it does take money and resources. And I think maybe that's partly why we don't see them in place all the time. Um, but I think it would be a great opportunity and a good solution. Yeah, you know, I, I think that's the case. Now, you know, nationally, our unemployment rate has been moving down. Uh, we're experiencing it a little bit differently in Alberta, uh, Calgary, and Edmonton. Um, but, you know, you make a point, uh, or, you know, you've, the report made, made a point that there will, you know, we will recover from this. And we have been in a situation in this province in the past where uh, resources, labor, uh, skilled mm-hmm. labor has been difficult to find. It, it, it becomes expensive. Uh, it becomes very competitive. Uh, people are moving. You're losing the continuity of the employee. So even Alberta companies, you, you know, you're suggesting, particularly with your exposure uh, in uh, in this province, that they should be thinking about these things now and how you can tap those resources because they're available. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anybody who was working in, in, in business, maybe in particular, but in those years, 2007 through to 2014, really, yeah, yeah. It, it wasn't fun. It was hard to find people. And I would say even in the downturn, it, sometimes it, it's it, it, in coming out of it still, it can still be hard to find employees. And I know then the job seekers get really frustrated by that because they think, here I am looking for a job and I can't get a job. But then the employers are saying, well, we can't find the skill set we need. There is a, talk about a knowledge gap, but there's also a skills gap. And yep, yep. That, that's, that's maybe a, a different but related issue. And again, perhaps um, mentorship could be a solution to that as well. Um, but yeah, it's definitely having gone through the boom economy and then the soft economy and now recovery. It's almost like you see the same problems, but in a little bit of a different way. Okay, so let, let's talk a little bit about the, the solution. So we've talked about it at a high level. Wayne, maybe you have anecdotally uh, some experiences you can share with us about companies that have adopted this and sort of the benefits from the company's perspective and from the employee's perspective. If, if there's no specific anecdotal evidence you can provide, let's talk about what companies and, and employees should be thinking about when they're thinking of structuring this. 
I think you've got to you've got to start with looking at what you've got already, the resources you've got at your fingertips. Who have you got on the team? Who have you got that's interested in something like this? Who maybe has experience with spearheading a program like this? Who would be interested in utilizing from, say, the mentee side? Who would be interested in, in utilizing a program like this? And start small and then branch out from there. I think there's also opportunity um, if you're looking at other organizations within your community. I know I belong to some business organizations where mentorship, there are processes in place that you could then maybe duplicate. Um, so they do exist, but then finding and seeking them out, finding out where they are. Um, organizations that have initiatives focused on employment branding, mm-hmm. a lot of times mentorship is a part of that as well because it's, it's a, a recruiting and retention tool. Yep. So I think it's starting with what you have and then maybe duplicating what might be working elsewhere. Yeah, it's interesting. I had a conversation this past week with a client, and uh, we're doing some financial planning work uh, with the family because he's thinking he's got some health issues, and so he travels a lot, and it's a it's a fast pace. He still loves what he does, but he can't. He doesn't think he's going to be able to continue at that pace given his circumstances uh, for you know for much longer. But he's he's quite worried about bringing this up to his employer. Um, mm. You know, his words were, "Well, this." He said, my belief is that when I have this conversation, even though I've got a very good relationship with, uh, with my boss, he says, I think this is a career-limiting move. Mm. Um, there's a, is there a stigma attached to that? Yes, I would say there is a stigma attached to that. We do see that. Um, where we'll see it more would be people that are trying to maybe re-enter the workforce, and that's yep. just a barrier for them, um, more so than, than this example. Um, but I think coming with a plan and and seeing if, if an option would be a better bet, um, but cu- coming prepared with a plan and again, looking at what you've got there, if you've got a, a team that could be interested in being a part of this, it could provide uh, more incentive for the employer yeah. to take part and buy into it. Yeah. Okay. Um, we're quickly approaching uh, the end of our segment here. It goes quickly. Um, so your advice, if somebody's sitting here thinking, boy, I, I really would like that option. I do want to stay engaged. I just don't want to be working perhaps the time uh, that I am now. What, what, what's your you know, 15-second sort of top-level recommendation? I think, not to be repetitive, but coming up with a plan that clearly outlines what the anticipated results would be and what those results would look like. I think that's the, it's got to be results focused and it's got to be measurable. Um, mentorship could be vague and I think hard to pinpoint or hard to get buy-in on as far as the program is involved if there isn't a way to measure the results. Yeah. Uh, Jessica, thank you. I think we have to leave it there. I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much been joined by Jessica Kulo, who's the exp- uh, Express Employment Owner and uh, National Spokesperson for that. Okay, uh, join us after the break. Stick around. We're going to be talking about the uh, how you actually put a strategy together to consider multiple outcomes from an investment perspective. You're on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Welcome back. You're here with Dave and Faisal on 770 CHQR and More Than Money. Uh, good show. It was a good show. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I want to think, I've had some interesting conversations since the beginning of this year. Um, and it stems from what happened last year. And we, we've talked a little bit about this already this year about, you know, strategy and you've got to think a little bit about uh, how much volatility you can take and, you know, all those different things. But here's the question I've been getting. Okay. And it hasn't always come this way, Faisal, but this is what people are talking about. We clearly face uncertainty and we always do. But right now the headlines, you know, we've got the Trump thing going on with uh, China. You've got the Brexit thing going. There's some big headlines and it scares people. And 
I, I, I'm having a difficult time with the with the messaging around how you put together a proper strategy because people seem to think you've got to have a crystal ball and you're all in or all out on something, right? That doesn't make sense. We, you remember we did that show, and I actually had some really good feedback this week on the show that we did when we talked about trying to be uh, market trend, timing. Market timing. Okay. I had some great feedback. Okay. Okay. And really positive. Helped people understand. Good. That. I'm glad they saw some value. Yeah. There. Perfect. So we we talk about this idea of you need to stay invested through a full term. You got to find the strategy that is gives you enough comfort, uh, and uh, you know there's enough. Uh, the volatility isn't so high that you make bad emotional decisions. Okay. Correct. Panic sales. Okay. So this. How do you, when you face uncertainty in an economic environment, how do you then put together an investment portfolio? What is the thesis, right? It was kind of boiling right down to this. What's the, how do I do that, right? Because, geez, Dave, I could wake up tomorrow and we could have a full-blown trade war on, which, you know, markets will plummet. So, so I'm smiling only because we always say because of an economic situation or concern, how do you handle the portfolio? Give me a point in history where there never has been an economic concern. No, no, that's my point. Right? Yeah. So I don't believe it's the economic issue that really triggers individuals. I believe it's the reaction that they're facing within themselves that causes them to react. No, so what, what, I, what I mean by that, Dave, is as we age, and, and, and I'm going to pick on you because we talked about this before we went on the air, it is hard to adjust to change. Mm-hmm. And when the markets are moving even faster now than when you first started investing or when I first started investing or when most of these listeners have started uh, uh, first uh, uh, investing, it's a change. And it, it, it's, it's a scary change because it's, it's so quick. So the reaction is, well, what if we miss it? Or what if something goes wrong? Or what, the what if keeps on coming out? And that makes people say, we better know that we have to do something before it happens versus have a strategy giving multiple outcomes. Yes, that, that's exactly it, right? It's not an all-in or all-out. There are different pieces of the portfolio given certain assumptions, right? So here, here was my issue. You and I talk about this stuff at a very high level, right? Yeah. And the questions conversation I've been having over an extended period of time here is, I don't think people understand what we talk about when we talk about asset allocation, probabilities, and so on and so forth. So I just wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about okay, that, right? let's do it. Because we, we had a conference call, as an example, mm-hmm. uh, recently, and we said that we increased the probability of global recession this year from last year by a percentage, okay? Yep. That was a, a, a change in what we felt, um, uh, you know, we, we needed to adjust portfolios to. We took that probability and we made an adjustment to the portfolio. We sold into the rally that we've seen in equities, trimmed some of the equities and added to bonds. Yep. Okay. And directionally, what we were saying is there are risks out there. We recognize it. If this happens, you know, what's the chance of this happening? Put a probability to it, right? A percentage. Yep. And if we're wrong, we can be wrong in two ways. It can be worse than what we expect. What's the probability of that? Yes. Or it can be better than we expect. What's the probability of that? So this, when we talk about a base case, that's our what we think the high probability outcome is. Correct. Right? And then we build a portfolio for that. Then we have a worst case. Yep. Okay? And we know what that looks, the playbook looks like for that. And then we have a best case, and we know what the playbook looks for that. But it's based on our, our overall call, right? What is the economic environment? What asset classes are priced uh, more favorably in this economic environment? And what are the probabilities of problems or successes? You, you've nailed it when you said we have an economic forecast. Right. We have best case, worst case, base case scenarios. And people still go into market timing. Yeah. 
people still go into, well, if the market is going down, then you should get out. Right. You should sell everything. Right. So I, I look at that and, and, and I think in the other parts of this world, when would we ever react that way? Right. When House the, prices are falling in Calgary right now. Do you sell all of your real estate? Ask business owners in Alberta. Should right. you get rid of your business? Right. Because that's what we're owning. When we own stocks, as an example, right. we're buying businesses. Right. And just because there's a minute-by-minute change in the value of that, and you can see it, if you own a private business, would you sell the minute you realize that your earnings are down 10%? Would you just get out? Right. Or the, the, the best one's the house, right? Most people don't own businesses, but many people own homes, right? And so we often have conversations with people about, I'm pessimistic about oil and gas in this province, yep, and yep. Da, 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 da. Okay? but they do not. They say they want to sell all the stock globally, right, even though it's a fact here, but they would never consider selling their house. Yeah, pipelines are not happening in Alberta, so sell my stocks, but keep my home. Right, <laughs> sell my U.S. equity. Yeah, right, which has nothing to do with pipelines in Alberta, but keep my home, which it, is in Alberta. In Alberta, yeah, yeah. right. Yeah. So it doesn't make sense. And and this was what I, what I was trying to uh, the conversations I've been having, and what I wanted to spend this last segment on to sort of tie it together is is help people. I mean, we've been on this notion of of education, right? And um, we can't just the industry, our industry often says, oh, just hang in there. It's going to be okay. That helps nobody. Yeah, that, that's, that's, I think you're petting them or something. Right. It helps nobody, right? Okay. We so, got it. We so got to have a can strategy. I, can I give the solution? Sure. Can I give the answer to this biggest problem okay. that people have when it comes to making money in this market? Right. Two things. First of all, when you are dealing with an advisor, yep. is the advisor selling you a product right. or providing you with a strategy? Right. When you sell a product, and we had one person who went to three different advisors, met with Andrew this week, mm -hmm. and she said, everybody was telling me to buy a product. Mm -hmm. We were the first team to talk about strategy in the bigger picture. Right. Okay? I look at it this way. Is if all you have is a hammer in your, in your, tool, in your tool kit, then everything is a nail. Right. So you're just going to sell your product for every scenario. Right. And then your response is, hang in there long term right. until my, my product comes works out, right. <laughs> hang in there. Right. The, the way to actually make money in this market and longer term, because that's what the real game is, yeah. is you need to take a step back from the day-to-day -day headline news and get into the fundamentals of what the heck's going on in this world. Right. And fundamentals, <laughs> which means... What are the key economic drivers that makes the world go around? Mm -hmm. Are we seeing people spend more money? Businesses spend more money? Is manufacturing growing? Are we actually moving goods around? Right. And what are what are the valuations? And you know how much do you have to pay? How for much a are you paying earnings? for companies? Exactly. Are they are they valuable? Or are they are they are they fairly inexpensive versus history? Yeah. Gives you a bit of a benchmark. Or their peers? Are you prepared yep. to pay more for some kind of growth given the current economic climate right. and the foreseeable future? Right. In the event economics start to turn, what are the indicators that you need to look at that will say change your viewpoint on your portfolio? portfolio, when you have that kind of a conversation, you're not talking about stocks. You're not talking about this company versus that company. Yeah. You're talking macroeconomics going into the areas around the world that's going to do well, mm -hmm. and then you're going to put your money there. Right. And there's there kind of a number of changes. I'm going to sum this up pretty quick because we're running out of time. But there's a number of, of things you do in a portfolio. There's the day-to-day -day trading that you do when you just see opportunity in one security versus another security. Okay. That kind of happens all the time. Uh, within this, you have an economic call. Yep. Okay, 
Um, if the economic environment changes, if the fundamental data says there's a change, then you change your assumptions, and that leads to a fundamental change in the portfolio's strategy, right? Yep. And then there's just asset class price swings. So when securities stocks uh, fall, but you don't believe there's a fundamental change, it's trading activity, then we call it a rebalance, right? You want to take advantage of those, uh, of those things that go on sale temporarily and buy them, right? But here's the thing. Um, I go back to the, 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 the fear for people is that it's these big all-in bets. There's not. They could be incremental changes, 5% here, 5% there, a rebalance, add 1% to this, take 1% from that. You're batting singles constantly by being active I don't rather think, than home runs. I don't think people understand when you're dealing, for example, us in a five-pillar investment strategy approach. Right. Why five pillars? How do you move between the two right. and so forth? So I think I want to challenge us, okay. you and I, yep. that we need to explain how proper portfolio management is done. Right. How do you move pillar to pillar? And let's do this at our next session. Okay. Okay. That sounds good. We're gonna we're gonna actually go into detail about this on our next session, Tuesday, March twenty sixth. This is at the Four Points Sheraton Hotel in West Calgary, right across of COP. That's right. Okay. Seven PM's already full. We're opening up an 8.30 session, and that's open for registration, so give us a call, 966-8400. That's 966-8400, or go on our website to register at morethanmoneyradio.com. Okay, um, thanks for tuning in to another edition. I'm going to remind you before we sign off that you can access any of our past segments on morethanmoneyradio.com. Or if you simply want to have them delivered to you every single week, all you have to do is search for More Than Money CHQR on Apple Podcast or in your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of More Than Money on 770-CHQR. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund, an investment industry regulatory organization of Canada. David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli are portfolio managers and investment advisors with CIBC Woodgundy in Calgary. The views of David Popovich and Faisal Carmelli do not necessarily reflect those of CIBC World Markets, Inc. Clients are advised to seek advice regarding their particular circumstances from their personal tax and legal advisors. If you are currently a CIBC Woodgundy client, please contact your investment advisor. CIBC Woodgundy is a division of CIBC World Markets, Inc., a subsidiary of CIBC and a member of the Canadian Investor Protection Fund and Investment Industry Regulatory Organization of Canada.